everyone. My name is Harmony Osei. I am an educator. And I'm Tanoja Ramchal. This is Seek Human Spaces podcast, where we explore how to embrace our humanness while smashing oppressive norms. Harmony and I are going to be talking about advocating for yourself because she models this so well. She's someone I've seen who has been able to advocate for herself and do it without losing herself. Because a lot of times I see people, uh, they're moving up in either the corporate ladder or in higher education or some other field, and they are losing parts of themselves. So thank you for being here, Harmony. Thank you for your willingness to uh, share your experiences with me and with the audience. So tell us a little bit more about your background and how you got into the field that you're in. Sure. So um, my name is Harmony Osei, as mentioned, and I'm an educator. I've been working in education for about 13 or so years. And some identities that are salient for me is that I identify as Black, I identify as a Latina. I grew up in uh, low-income households and primarily growing up in Brooklyn in Flatbush, which if many of you know Flatbush during the 80s, 90s, many people would refer to that as the ghetto or the hood, um, because it was very difficult neighborhood for various different reasons. And also I am a PhD student. So I'm currently pursuing my PhD in urban education. And then additionally, uh, which we'll go into as well, I grew up in foster care. And so uh, just to speak a little bit about how I got into higher education, I think like many people, I kind of fell into it. Education is something that I always refer to as pretty much the thing that I think saved my life, quite honestly. Like if I hadn't been in education and gone to school and dedicated my mind to studies, then I don't know where I would be today. And so I'm very thankful and passionate about education. And when I was in undergrad, I was a resident assistant, an orientation leader. I interned with the dean of students. And so I just really loved being involved in my college. And through that, I had developed a relationship with the dean of students and asked him, like, how can I do this forever, pretty much? How can I never leave college? And he taught me a little bit about higher education and encouraged me to apply to graduate programs, which I did. And then I went to NYU for my master's in higher education. And that's where I started working within the field from there. What I love about that story is that you were approaching people in college, like you had a level of self-awareness as well in terms of what it is that you were interested in. Yeah, like some of it, definitely. I just loved helping my peers and being a resource for them and through being an orientation leader and being a support system for those students who were starting their academic journeys. And then also part of it was I kind of fell into it because of my financial situation. So I was a first gen student. I was someone that, as I mentioned, grew up in foster care. And I actually, interestingly, um, I ran away at 18 and ran away to, to college. And, and so I was alone in college. I had no resources, no family, no support, anything. I was working three jobs, putting myself through school. And that's where I started looking at ways to get involved through housing. Like, okay, if I'm a resident assistant, I'm getting my housing paid for. And orientation leader, I was there during the summertime because I had nowhere to go when everyone was leaving for home for different holidays. I 
didn't always have somewhere to go home to. So um, I just started getting involved. And part of it was my passion. Part of it was my financial situation and not having those resources. And then just realizing it was something that I really loved and I appreciate I was able to have a wonderful educational experience. That's a powerful story. And I know you also share about the odds of children coming out of foster care. Yeah, getting a good education. And it's funny that you said that you ran away to college because most people would not run away to college. Yes, yes. I mean, I was living in a very, very difficult um, household in foster care and then being forcibly adopted just because the agency closed down. And so they were shipping all of us to other foster agencies or pushing for us to get adopted, which I did not want to do, but that was forced upon me. And so after just very, very abuse and uh, various other things, I made a plan. This was like a year in the making of me saying, I have to get out of here. And instead of just leaving and not knowing where I was going to go, I said, I'm going to leave and I'm going to wait out until I can go to college, which was very difficult to do. And also to leave my siblings in that household, which I always struggled with, but I knew I had to do it for my own health and sanity. And so, yeah, I applied to college. I got in, I chose a college like five, six hours away. And in the middle of the night, quite honestly, someone, a friend came and picked me up who was also going to the same college and picked me up at like one, two o'clock in the morning. And while my adoptive mother was not home, I packed up my stuff, said goodbyes to my siblings and left to college. And she came home. That was one of the bravest things I think I ever did in my life for her to come home and see I was gone. Um, and I, I, that was my way of like, I have to get out of here. I have to put myself first, even though I was terrified and it was the most uh, bravest thing. I don't know how I did that, but yeah, I ran away and went to college and figured out my way from there pretty much. That sounds like a lot for as a child, because as if you're entering college, you're still a child, I feel. Mm-hmm. And to be able to make that decision for yourself. And I can see why you said education saved you yeah. and how it influenced your uh, career journey as well. And I feel like when, when we're talking about advocating for yourself, I can also see how your background plays into that, because it sounds like you were a strong advocate for yourself from a very young age. You had to be. Oh, yes, absolutely. So you'd mentioned a little bit about statistics for foster youth. And so my dissertation will also focus on that identity and my passion for education, knowing, like I said, that education saved me and it could really lead to so much change in your life. Um, and give you a future that you never imagined. And so I'm going to be exploring educational outcomes of foster youth in my PhD program. And when I look at the literature, it talks about, so some statistics, like one in five foster youth will be homeless by 21. And so it's, you know, 20%. And then over 70% of women who age out of foster care will also be pregnant by 21. And then when they looked at people who were previously incarcerated or even human trafficking victims, for example, over 60% of human trafficking victims were in foster care. And then also just in terms of mental health, that the literature talks about one fourth, 25% of foster youth will get PTSD. And that's actually twice the rate of Americans, American veterans who have been to war. 
So those who have actually went and experienced war, foster youth get PTSD at a higher rate, at twice the rate of these veterans. And so that, you know, I think, I thank my husband because I was talking to him about these statistics. And then he just was like, do you see how much you've accomplished? Like the fact I never really sat and thought about it and how much I advocated for myself or how much I accomplished until I really sat and thought about those statistics and how, you know, just thankful, blessed, everything I am to have been able to get past that and make a better future for myself because everything in the literature says I was not supposed to make it, but somehow, you know, I did. When you were talking about those statistics, somebody listening to that who is in foster care, that can be, feel pretty hopeless. Yep. You know, because if your options are homeless, getting pregnant by 21, you know, having nowhere to go, but that you've beaten those odds. So I wanted to talk to you about that specifically. Like, what is it that you believe made that difference for you? Sure, I think... And so interestingly, so I quoted some of the, the statistics, which unfortunately like the le- literature is kind of focused on a deficit mindset. And so my dissertation is actually going to focus on those three to 5%, three to 5% of foster youth ever get a college degree. And I, I don't think I mentioned that. And so my dissertation is actually going to focus on that three to 5% who got a college degree mm. because the literature focuses on the 97%, which is important. But like you said, it encourages or just continues that narrative of false youth being helpless. But that's not the case. We need to put things out there that give them hope and give them courage and give them strategies to succeed. And so that is what I want to do with my research. And I think a couple of things really helped me to build my own path. It was not easy. And I feel like Sometimes I do get that judgment, like you get, you have so much now. And I'm like, you have no idea where I came from and how hard I worked for it. And so I think it's a combination of things. I think just my intrinsic like motivation and my factors, external factors that I was dealing with, I just knew I could not survive in the environment that I was in at all. I was very depressed and um, I wasn't doing well mentally, emotionally. I knew I could not survive in that environment. And so uh, another thing that impacted me was when I was a teenager, a very close friend of mine was murdered, unfortunately. And that really broke me down for various different reasons. It was someone that despite all the things he was doing, he always said like, go home. He would make sure I wasn't out at late at night. I wasn't talking to boys or all of that. He was like a big brother. And when he was taken uh, from all of us, that really hurt me. And I said, I have to make it for him. Like I have to show him that I accomplished all these things that he wanted for me because he wasn't able to um, since his life was cut short. So that was part of it. Also like losing my grandmother and just really wanting so much more better for myself. And so it was a lot of sacrifice. Like I said, I was in college working three jobs, like staying during the summer sometime during other holidays. It wasn't easy. And also just relying on other people. There's a lot of, I also say like, I didn't do it myself at all. I give a lot of thanks to people in my circle, to, you know, friends that were there and supported me, let me stay with them during different holidays, bought me food, you know, everything that I needed. Let me borrow their textbooks when I couldn't buy my books. It definitely was not something that I did 
on my own. So I think a support circle makes all the difference as well. Yeah, having that support system and, you know, you mentioning your friend, the one who was murdered and just being there for you and seeing you for who you are, as opposed to continuing that marginalization that we see from society. Because when you also said about the deficit mindset, I'm thinking, how can you not have a deficit mindset when you're growing up in an environment like that, when your basic needs are not being met? So it makes sense that someone living in those conditions in an environment like that would feel that way. And yeah, and that you had uh, your grandmother, your friend, other people in your community seeing you and seeing what you are capable of doing. And I think that's so important. We've seen community come up over and over in different episodes in terms of people talking about how that was important and being witnessed as opposed to a lot of times we can we can look at people who uh, are homeless or people who uh, you know are pregnant by 21 and judge them yeah. and you know say that person is lazy or or you know that person is not responsible but also not looking at how systems are creating that one of the things that i thought of when i was planning for this conversation with you is how you're able to also skillfully navigate the systems because i've been in community with you and it's something that I admire because, again, you're not afraid to speak your truth. And at the same time, you're able to get things done. And also, I've seen the way that you have navigated your career and excelled. And I feel so many people listening to this, where, as you said, when the, your dissertation is about giving people hope. Mm-hmm. And I feel hopeful just listening to you. It even makes me emotional, like, because I haven't heard a lot of this before and I'm so grateful that I'm having this conversation with you because not because you were born into a certain circumstance means that you have to stay there. Absolutely yeah and just aligning with that like it is so easy uh, to listen to what society is telling us so like for me to listen to these statistics and just give up you know um and it also has a lot to do with trauma as well you know um trauma literally changes the way that your brain develops you know and so with that some people yes will not feel like they deserve more or will continue to get into say abusive or other types of situations in order to try to control it the next time around and not realize the damage that they're doing to themselves. And also just growing up where I was told so many horrible things, like called so many different things, like I could not even say here. And that impacted my self-esteem severely. And it really, you know, everyone finds hope in different places. And mine's, you know, was some was spiritual, some was friends that I had who I, you know, called my family to this day. Some of it, I just always felt like I had a higher purpose. And so, for example, when I was getting adopted and we went to get finalize the paperwork and everything, we were able to change our names because we were getting adopted. And so I didn't have a middle name when I was born my whole life. And when we went to go get adopted, I added a middle name and they said, what do you want to be your middle name? And I said, destiny. And so my name is now Harmony Destiny Osei. It was my um, maiden name was Matos. And I chose destiny because I just, I don't know what it was. I just always felt like I will be something great. Like I have a destiny that's not my current situation. And sometimes it is extremely difficult to look past your current conditions 
I was watching a video the other day from a rapper and he was crying and he said like, I can't believe where I am to this day. This is everything that I ever dreamed of. And it took so much sacrifice, so much hard work. It took community, it took risks, it took challenges and, you know, but it all paid out in the end. It might not be in a year, it might take 10 years, but I had that faith that eventually it would work out. And it took going to counseling, you know, going and speaking about my issues and taking certain risks that I was able to do and understanding that everyone can't take the same risk as me, um, but doing everything within my power. So I think that goes to kind of the advocacy is being content and always trying to the best of my ability is something that I try. And you mentioned trauma. How mm -hmm. do you deal with the trauma as you're advocating for yourself? Sure, it's it's very difficult. I think I had to deal with the trauma in order to be able to advocate for myself because if I wasn't dealing with the trauma, I wouldn't realize my worth. I was I didn't I would not realize that I deserve more and that I should speak up or the power that I had. And so I've tried to work on that. It's a continuous process. When you're in foster care, you're put in counseling. So I was in counseling my whole life. And unfortunately, I didn't really feel it was too helpful. But about two years ago, there were two students who passed away that broke me. Like if I was going through trauma my whole life and trying to battle it, it reached a point where it was the last stick and I totally just broke down to the point that it had physical impact on me. And so sometime when you're so stressed, it can impact you in different ways. And for some people can't sleep, some people can't eat. And for me, I physically was in so much pain. Like I was having palpitations, I was having migraines, I was I, having trouble breathing. And I was seeing all these specialists doing so many tests for months and months. They couldn't figure out anything until they just, they're like, it you're stressed. We cannot find any actual diagnosis for what you're going through. And losing those two students, I think triggered, like you mentioned, trauma, all the other traumas that I had. And that's he what- was there buried, yeah. Yes, it was buried. And- uh, fortunately, I think it's so important for us to ask for help, which is difficult. It's not always easy to ask for help. But when these two students passed, I called our employee assistance program and I said, I need help. Like, I know I'm not OK and I'm scared. So they connected me with a trauma counselor. That was the very first time in my life I ever had a trauma counselor. I've always met with counselors. And this counselor, if she's out there, she changed my life, mm -hmm. literally. Like she saved me because the physical things that I were going through were really bad. And I was on so much medication and going through all these tests. And she really connected the dots of the other people that I lost. Like I said, my friend that was murdered, my grandmother, other people, my mentor, my sister, my older sister passed away several years ago. That, that losing those students open up all those wounds. And so I think, yeah, it takes, it took my, me being courageous to say I needed help and call the counselor and just being open to going through that very, very difficult and scary road of accepting the trauma and working through it. Wow, that's a lot to be dealing with. 
Absolutely. There's a quote from James Baldwin where he says, when you have nothing to lose, you are most dangerous to the system. Mm. And I think of that, someone coming from foster care and the background that you're coming from. And literally, you have nothing to lose yeah. Yeah. in terms of pursuing all of these avenues that, you know, like education and all of that. And I think that's also such a great example for others, because I think at the end of the day as well, when we think of even career, that a lot of people think they have so much to lose Mm -hmm. because obviously it's a job. And I understand, you know, our survival is tied to jobs and we have different responsibilities. But when we start to value ourselves Mm -hmm. and we realize that value can't be taken away from us, that's a great recognition. And that's what I see in you as well, in terms of how you advocate for students. First of all, let's let's talk about that. And then second, how you are able to do it for yourself. So let's share like some specifics in terms of what is it you would say that it requires in order to advocate for your, yourself, especially when you're from a marginalized background and you're in a system that was not designed for you? Sure. I think one thing I had to work through in advocating is what is my intention of speaking up? Is it I'm only going to speak up if I think I can make a difference? Or am I going to speak up because this doesn't align with my values and because it's impacting me or others or it's the right thing to do? Like there's a quote that says about like true character is what you do when no one's looking. You know, it's not what you do when people are focused on you. And so I've seen, there's a couple examples of me advocating. And so I think it started from when I was young, when I, when I was in foster care, so some personal and then professional examples in foster care, I had advocated in, there was a time where my sister was um, being abused and I went and told the agency and a social worker came to our house and said, you might as well just stay here, just deal with it because at least you're together. And so that was the standard of the value of our lives as foster kids was most foster siblings aren't placed together. So just be thankful, just be, you know, thankful that you're together. And they left us there. Didn't, didn't replace, didn't put us anywhere else. Just pretty much said, Hey, be thankful that you're here. At least you're together. So it's okay that you're being abused. Like, So we felt like we had no value as like foster kids, but I spoke up, even though it didn't make a difference. And then professionally, I would say a couple times that I advocated for myself would be in getting a promotion because I realized all the work that I was doing and many jobs tend to give us more and more work. And there's a quote that says something about if you're good at your job, then you tend to get more work. And that's that's how you are um, thanked is by getting additional work because they feel you can handle it. And so seeing my positions continuously growing and speaking up and saying, no, I'm doing much more and I feel like I should be valued and I should be compensated appropriately for what I'm doing is something that I have done and helped others to do as well, like making sure that they know they're, if they're part of you know a union environment, they know the handbook and the code of conduct and they know all the policies and procedures, just us understanding their worth and value. I think especially you talked about marginalized populations, it's hard as a person of color to do that. And as a woman, it's hard to speak up and demand what I am worth. Um, and so I think yeah, it just was 
me realizing I'm no longer going to settle and that if I stand up and speak up, I can help others and be that example that will maybe encourage or inspire them to do the same thing. So I think for me, it's more that broader impact of myself and knowing my worth and that I don't have to settle or be thankful for whatever compensation I'm getting. I can speak up and then lead others to do the same thing. Powerful. Um, And I I think a lot of times people coming from marginalized backgrounds feel that they should be lucky for what they have and shouldn't be asking for more. And it also reminds me of that, you know, pet to threat phenomenon where somebody is hired because of their marginalized identity to be that token employee. But then once they start speaking up, it feels like a threat and then they become the problem in the organization. How do you deal with that? Yeah, it's it's so real. It definitely, definitely happens. Um, and I think that kind of goes into what we had talked about. And like when you go into an organization, if you do work your way up and then you are like the sole minority or woman sitting in this room, then you can sometimes lose yourself because you're pressured to stay there. You're pressured to not speak up and to not lose that position or those connections And I think it's just always been important for me to not lose myself specifically because I think I lost myself my whole childhood, my whole upbringing. Mm -hmm. I did not have control over my life, what I could say, what I could do or anything. And it was a process of just recognizing that it's so important for me to be comfortable in my skin and be comfortable with who I am. Society is going to judge you no matter what. And you cannot satisfy everybody. It is impossible. And it is such a weight to put on yourself to feel like you have to satisfy everyone. And we only have one life. And I always felt like I just want to make a difference and leave something behind for others. And so it has taken yeah, a lot of courage to be able to speak up in those rooms when I feel like something is not right and I'm not really being well-received. But I think what has also given me confidence is my community in that, like, for example, the CUNY DI incubator, having folks that I feel know me and will support me and will be there to rally up if necessary. And that just speaks to the importance of your support circle and where you work or where wherever you're involved in finding a group of people that are your people. Those are your folks who you can count on, you can be authentic, you can go to for advice or support, and that you know will have your back because that is important, quite honestly, especially in the corporate world is having those um, support set, um, networks because otherwise it can be very terrifying to speak up and you feel like you're all alone and you're going to lose everything. I was talking to Sasha in uh, another episode on trauma and she says we have to go with people where we feel normal because if we are in environments where we don't feel normal, then that's when we are going to start questioning ourselves and not speak up. But if we go into spaces where it's normal for us to be ourselves, we have at least something to compare it to and to see that you're not the problem. And I think certainly the DA incubator, which I'm a part of as well, you know, seeing how that is different from other communities. And also when I heard you say that in terms of, of not losing yourself, 
And why I think that's so important, because your story is what has shaped you into who you are. I always go back to this quote from Steve Jobs, where he says, we can only connect the dots looking back. And I know even with your current job, where all of those steps that you've taken in the past, how they connect, and you you can't know this. None of us can know this. Like I see this with my own career. Like sometimes you're uh, making a decision that feels right in the moment, but you don't even know why you're doing that. Um, But then you can look back and you can see how it all comes together. And that stood out for me because your story is so important. And losing that is like you're basically losing yourself and even your wife for doing what you do. And um, the other point that you touched on that's so important is that you're not going to satisfy everyone and to be okay with that. Because if you're just in people-pleasing mode, and I think this is when you lose yourself because you're going to be code switching and you're going to be changing yourself to fit different people's perspective of you. And if you're working in an environment that was not designed for you, you're just going to fit in. And that's not how I see you at all. You're somebody that was was not afraid to tag people in high positions to get things done. And that's something I greatly admire. Thank you. Thank you. It, it was a process. And, you know, I think it's important to recognize that who I am today is not who I always was. And so there were definitely times that I didn't speak up. And I think that's also important to recognize that there are times where people said completely inappropriate things to me and I didn't speak up and I just went into shock and I didn't forgive myself for that, for always looking back and saying, wow, Harmony, you should have said something or, you know, recognizing, dang, like, did I, um, am I a failed ally or advocate because I didn't speak up at that point of time and everything And so that was something I had to work on because I didn't always speak up for different reasons. And you go through a process and I was in a different place, I think, in my life at that time than I am now, where I feel I'm more established, where I feel more comfortable about, you know, social justice and civil rights, because I take advantage of the knowledge out there. I'm always reading different books. I'm always reading news articles. I'm communicating and building networks with other people who are informed. And so sometimes people don't speak up because they're not comfortable or they don't feel informed. They don't feel like their opinion matters. And so just wanted to recognize that, that it took a while. And there's times when people try to reach out and touch my hair and I didn't speak up. But nowadays, I, you know, that is something that I would do. And, you know, that was just something I had to eventually forgive myself for and say it's okay. And that just goes along with feeling that sense of perfectionism. Like, do I have to be perfect all the time? Do I always have to be the best advocate? And I was speaking to someone just recently about the different roles within advocacy. And so being able to not judge other people, maybe I'm the type of person, like you said, that will go on a rant on social media. And I think social media is an extremely powerful tool for advocacy, but some people don't won't use that. And I'm the person that will be on the front line of protests, which I did, especially during you know Black Lives Matter and everything, but not everyone needs to be on the front line of a protest. And so just recognizing and figuring out yourself 
what is your form of advocacy and what is your level of risk that you can take because it's different for everybody. And we need people of all different places and roles. Like we need people make printing out things. We need people who are infiltrating and acting like they're with the system, but they're not and getting information. We need people in the streets and, you know, we need people in education and healthcare because of disparities there in finances. So people are getting loans. Like we have to work together. So I think it's just recognizing and coming to a place of what is your place of comfort. Right. And people, again, have to assess their risk and have to assess, you know, how safe it is in that environment to speak up. Because for somebody who needs a job to pay the bills and if speaking up means getting fired, you have to assess what's important to you in that moment. And as Harmony says, it's, you know, it's from person to person. You you determine what advocacy means for you. And you mentioned off podcast, Harmony, that you were let go of a job because of speaking up. Um, so I'm interested in that as well, because I, I also want people to, to recognize that this is not easy. It's yeah. not, in that, like speaking up doesn't mean that you're, uh, people are going to listen to you or that you're going to get your way. So can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. This, I mean, this happened in two different places in my life, but this actually, there were two times that uh, jobs didn't work out because of me speaking out. And so um, sometimes you think certain people will, will be there to listen, like say human resources, for example. And some folks will listen, but in some companies, HR or other departments, legal or so, are there just to protect the organization. And so you are risking taking a certain level of risk if you go and speak up, especially if you're speaking up against someone that is has been in the organization for a very long time, has a certain reputation, people won't even fathom that that person did what they did and automatically are not going to believe you. And so what do you do in that situation? Do you still speak up and take that risk? And for me, that was something I was willing to do because of the harm it was doing to myself and to other colleagues where they were crying and just felt totally disrespected and belittled. And I felt that was worth it. And no matter what the outcome was, but some people in that situation would not, because like you said, they have maybe children or other bills or, you know, someone maybe even with my background with foster care would not want to give up a job because they don't want to end up homeless or end up, you know, not being able to eat again. And they made that promise to themselves. They'll never be in that situation again. So I think for me, it was just I cannot stand by and see this happening and feeling like that I am allowing it and I'm contributing to it. And so there's this kind of quote that I was reading where it talks about the walkways, the moving walkways in the airports, for example, and that in life, we're all on this moving walkway. We're all participating in this massive system of oppression. And even if we're just standing there, if we're standing on that walkway, we're still all contributing to it. And so we have to actively turn around and run, not just walk with double the force to actually go against the system. And so that is just something that I've always kept in my mind of, I have to do twice as much to try to make an impact and go against a system that is intended to harm certain populations. And so, um, yeah, I, but it also there's, I think strategically, just to mention different ways you can advocate. And that goes kind of what I was speaking about in those situations, it was 
I'm going to go to HR or I'm going to go to, you know, um, certain senior, senior personnel. Sometimes it might just be, okay, you know what, I'm going to empower the students and educate them so they can go and write an open letter or speak up or protest or whatever it may be. And that's another way that I could go about and contribute to change. So I think it varied depending on the situation and the intended, in, um, the intended outcome. Mm -hmm. And especially for students, I think for them to recognize that their voice matters and that they have a lot of power in the situation, because a lot of times, just because of the hierarchy, it can feel like they don't have a lot of power and they just have to go along with whatever uh, policy is in place or, you know, whatever administration is telling them to do. And Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, that's also because of how they're treated. Some students are, when I led some diversity sessions at Baruch, students were speaking about being terrified of speaking out and advocating to or speaking up to a professor because then they're going to get a poor grade or that's going to make them lose their scholarship, for example. And then what does that trickle down to impact them? So I think the students definitely have different concerns when it comes to advocating, but it's important for us as faculty, staff, et cetera, alum to empower them and make them recognize that they do have a voice and their voice is valued because there's so many people telling them otherwise. And so that has always been important to me in being student-centered and being able to just be authentic and not carry myself in the manner that I'm better than a student or that I know more anything. No, we all have value and power. And I think it's important for us to empower students in the ways that they can go about making change, which we've seen, especially during the uprising, students wrote open letters and demanded changes, demanded a Black and Latino studies major and certain type counseling sessions, for example. And that was very admirable that they were able to do that. And, you know, I, I tell students, go, same thing, read articles, um, go and learn about different things. There, I shared with some students the five demands video, not telling people to take over city or other colleges, but sometimes students did what they needed to do and they enacted change. And so, yeah, definitely empowering students in any way possible. And this is also something you model so well in terms of holding that space for students to do that and to see them as humans, not to just fit them into a box as, you know, even a student is a label that we put on. And if we are the advisors or administrators, then it means that we have more power over them. But once we start to see them as humans and that they deserve respect and they have that space where they can trust themselves, they will act. And I think that's so important as well in terms of advocating for yourself, because a lot of times if you're in an environment where you're not treated mm -hmm. in a way that really honors your humanity, then you can start to behave that way, like uh, where I don't deserve any more than I have. And once you can start to recognize your value, that also is what changes the game. And as Harmony said, a lot of times when you're coming from that mar a marginalized background, you have to work twice as hard yep. in order to get the result. Absolutely. And I think it's so important to celebrate yourself. Like we're taught not to be, to be humble and not to be cocky and all of these different things. And I think, no, it's, it's so important to celebrate ourselves and acknowledge all that we are doing and how we are succeeding and moving past all of these different challenges and barriers that some populations don't have to face. And so I think that's just important is also 
finding joy as well, I think is, is a coping mechanism that I've had is finding things to smile about. And even a little difference, I think, has made me happy to know that there's going to be change in the future. Sometimes when as activists, you want to see the change right away and you want to make this huge difference. But other, you know, people who came before say, have said that uh, the change that needs to be happen and that needs to happen probably won't come in your lifetime. And you have to be okay with that because you know that you're trying to change the greater and larger system. And so you mean may not see the change that we want, but knowing that we are making a small dent and that, you know, we're seeing things that our ancestors couldn't even imagine, you know, having a black president and voting and all of these different things, so much has changed. So just finding that joy and going back to the beginning, like having that hope as well, I think is important. Yeah. Thank you so much, Harmony. And I want to celebrate you and tell you how grateful I am to be having this conversation because it's helped me tremendously and to also get to know you better and to hear of your journey and how powerful I believe that is in influencing the people who listen to this podcast. And I just want to say thank you so much. It's such a powerful story. And it's also um, why I believe it's so important for people to own their story rather than trying to erase themselves to fit in. Absolutely. And thank thank you. And you're a part of my circle. Like I said, my people, my folks that keep me sane and that have guided me and given me a lot of advice and guidance as well. So again, this it's a community effort. Just want to encourage people to remember you're not alone and you just have to go out there and find your people, your community to work together and support each other because life life is hard. And it's not easy. And just give some grace to yourself and those around you. I think that's important. Definitely. Thank you so much, Harmony. You've been listening to Seek Human Spaces. Be sure to subscribe to be notified of new episodes and catch you next time. And remember to be human.